I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife. And we are the, the Flight Safety, Safety Detectives. Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host, John, has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and go-team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Well, John, it's great to see you again for another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Unfortunately, we aren't together. We're in the midst of the coronavirus event, and because of that, you are on one side of the country, I'm on the other, and while we can see each other through our technology, we are definitely practicing our social distancing. Rather than six feet, we've decided to make it 1,400 miles. So I'm glad that I'm that far away from you because who knows what follows you around in that little cloud that you're always walking in. So I'm glad I'm insulated. Well, I'm glad I'm not in New York City because it uh, looks like those poor folks are really going to get hammered. Yeah, they are. And hopefully, uh, you know, we can come up with some mitigation before some of the other big cities are exposed to these very high numbers of people that are contracting it and, of course, succumbing to this just really contagious and uh, fierce virus. It's, it is sad. The economy was riding high. The airline industry was riding high all before the coronavirus. And now all of a sudden, it, uh, <laughs> pardon the pun, it is all crashed and it has crashed hard. And now the question is, is the industry, not only just the airlines, but the aviation industry as a whole, as well as our economy and other things. But for the purposes of the show, the airline business and, of course, the airline or aviation industry, is it going to bounce back? And if so, is it going to look the same and feel the same and, and prosper the same way in the future as it did before the coronavirus event? Boy, that's the big question for every industry. But airlines, you know, it, years ago, I remember somebody telling me when the the economy gets the sniffles, the airlines gets the flu. It's so true. I mean, it's so up and down. Unfortunately, our economy has got more than the sniffles. It's got the flu, the coronavirus, and who else knows what? I mean, it's just, it is crazy right now. And when we look at the, the industry as a whole, one of the things that concerns me amongst others, because you and I travel all the time, you were on a trip. I just got back from a multi-city trip and, um, and we had to uh, practice safe flying, if you will, from the standpoint of making sure that we weren't exposing ourselves to anything that we could bring home decontaminating our our personal space on airplanes watching 
who was sick, who was coughing, who was sneezing, just having a very good situational awareness as we were traveling to and from airports, in the airport, and then, of course, on the airlines. I mean, I was down in some hot spots. I was in Georgia. Then I went down to Florida where you'd never know that there was a, a coronavirus event. I mean, the, the hotels were, were packed up. There were people on the beach. I mean, like nothing happened. And, and it was their careless and carefree attitude of it's not going to happen to me. And if it does, who cares? <laughs> I mean, it was just outrageous to see that. And then I came in from Washington, D.C. last week, and uh, being on that flight, I used to have the luxury of choosing eight or nine direct flights throughout the day that I could catch to commute back and forth to D.C. Coming back, I had a choice of two, one at 8.15 in the morning or one at 10.15 at night. The schedules have changed, and the flight wasn't necessarily full, but it had a lot of seats filled. And um, and it was very difficult to practice social distancing with a seatmate or somebody that was right across the aisle because they were definitely less than six feet. So and I know you just got back from a trip as well. Yeah, my flight was totally full. So there was not a, a seat, empty seat in the entire airplane. Yeah, I mean, the industry is changing. And and uh, you and I talked about the fact that this is what we should be talking about in this particular episode, is what's the state of the industry? How is it being affected by uh, the coronavirus and, and the warnings and, of course, all of the travel restrictions and, and that kind of thing that have taken place to hamper the airlines? And then, of course, we know that we, you know, right before coronavirus, we were still talking about the fact that we were in great need of pilots and mechanics and air traffic controllers because there were going to be a lot of retirements. There was going to be a lot of changeover. Airlines were buying new airplanes to retire old airplanes. And now all of a sudden, that's going to change as far as the dynamic. And then what does this mean overall and how fast can the industry recover? And will the industry, especially the airlines, look the same? Will we have the same amount of airlines? Will we lose airlines? So I think this is going to be a good show to try and hit a lot of those topics. You know, one of the first subjects we can hit is the fleet. What's going to happen to the fleet? And I have some predictions with uh, some of the airplane types. For example, in the U.S., the 757. I don't believe the 757 will fly again as a U.S. flight carrier's airplane. They're towards the end of their life to start with, and I think that as they get parked, I don't think there's any flying right now, they'll never come back because they're going to be on the ground for six or more months. Just the cost of keeping them airworthy for that time uh, may not be worth it economically for the airplane to survive. We got some 767s that are in the same boat that were built about the same time as these last 757s. And I don't think those are going to come back either. Because I mean, when this is over and the airlines start taking these airplanes back out of wherever they've parked them, they're not going to take them all back overnight. I mean, Delta's got 600 airplanes scattered around the country. They're going to be taking those airplanes back in smaller quantities just because how are you going to take 600 airplanes back and do all the checks on them to get them back in the, in the, in the air quickly? It's not going to happen. So it's going to be uh, dribs and drabs 
maybe 100 at a time, maybe 50 at a time, but they'll be coming back slowly. And the 757s won't be in that group. They'll be at the tail end of that. And I think by then that they're just not going to be there. Plus, we're going to get all those 737 Maxes back, certainly before this is over. And they're going to replace it. They got the economy of scale. They're going to replace the 757 as far as the operating costs are concerned. And those airplanes will never come back. And on top of it, in the international arena, Lufthansa and Air France were predicting that they were going to put their A380s down by 2023. I think the A380s that they've parked will never come back because by the time the, the loads get back, I mean, those are big airplanes. By the time we get enough passengers back to make those airplanes viable, they're going to be gone. That time frame is going to be gone. So I think that those airplanes will be, you know, those fleets will be greatly diminished if not eliminated. So it sounds like just from that brief discussion, while this is kind of a disaster right now for the airlines, they're they're hemorrhaging money. They're trying to find ways to stay afloat. I mean, the airfares were just ridiculous in a good way. I mean, normally I pay well over $1,000 for a first-class ticket when I travel back and forth to Washington. Now it was $314 each way first class. I mean, I would love to have the airfare stay like that, but I know for a fact that when the airlines do come back, I'll never see $314 first class to Washington, D.C. again. It's the fact that they are trying to put people in seats, and that's definitely not going to make them survive. It's just going to try and minimize the pain of all the money that they're, they're bleeding out. Good morning, you're on the ground, Canadian 920. We're just coming up to Alpha Juliet. Canadian 920, runway 248, taxi. The question I have for you, based on what you believe is going to be the retirement schedule, is this a blessing for the airlines? That is. It accelerates their retirement schedule. It helps them streamline their fleet. And does this change or help streamline a new business model in the future going forth? Because with capacity, we don't know if capacity will come back up to the way it was because we're finding new ways to do business, conduct business, and travel, or at least do the business that require travel. We're now finding ways to do it from our homes and our offices. And so is this scare of I'm going to be exposed if I get on an airplane, is this going to change? And does this really change the business model of the airline's legacy or new entrant or low-cost carriers going forward? Well, I think there's certainly going to be more than one face on this issue when it comes down. So the people that do fleet planning, they're certainly going to be able to to uh, reshape the fleets of all the major carriers much more quickly than they, they could have a month ago. So we're going to see the fleet mix and numbers change considerably. The people that are responsible for filling the seats have another problem because we were going gangbusters because of the economy. And now the economy is also going to be pretty flat. So all the fleet managers are going to have an easier task of realigning the fleets. However, the people that are responsible for filling the seats in the airplane are going to have a different problem because the economy was so strong, airplanes were so full. Well, the economy is not going to come back like gangbusters immediately. It's going to take a while. So 
to that end, those folks are going to be challenged to, to get the load factors back up into a money-making uh, number. So it's in those two areas that it's going to be very challenging for the airlines to continue an operation. And when we look at the airlines right now, of course, uh, you know, the capacity is down. They have dramatically slashed the routes, the route schedules. And so, of course, we don't have the availability that we used to have. We've got a lot of airplanes parked all over the country on top of all of the 737 MAX airplanes that were parked all over the country. So now with all these airplanes on the ground, I know we've always talked, uh, at least in the last four or five episodes, we've touched on the fact about pilot shortage. and Are we going to have enough pilots coming through the pipeline to fly those airplanes? And like you said at the top of the show, now all of a sudden that shortage seems to have evaporated. But does it cut across the board? With all these airplanes parked, is it going to take more mechanics to babysit these airplanes to make sure that they're in flyable storage or ready to be put back into service when, in fact, these travel bans are are eased up and, and the restrictions aren't in place anymore and the stay-at-home orders are lifted? You know, we know that it's not going to spike up. It's going to ramp up. But do we need more mechanics to babysit those airplanes to ensure that they are, in fact, ready to fly? Actually, I think it's just the opposite. Because of uh, the heavy maintenance, the letter checks, for those who don't understand what a letter check is, as an airplane flies, for example, if it flies 125 hours roughly for most airlines, it requires an A check. And that's four or five people. At the next level, it's a B check, the letter B and that requires quite a bit more people. And then you get to a letter check C, where we're talking about 50 or 60 people on two shifts, multiple days. And then a D check takes thousands of man hours. So with the airplanes not flying, all that labor is going to be idle. So you're going to see some kind of an adjustment in the workforce. Voluntary furloughs, uh, reduced work hours. The airlines are going to have to get creative with that. At the same time, there's going to be other people out babysitting the airplane, my word, out there taking care of the airplane, doing the checks on them, making sure that they're stored properly. And if they're not going to pickle the engines, which is a process that you do for long-term storage, if you're not going to pickle the engines, then every three or four days you have to run the engine. In between, you put covers on the front and the back so that the wind doesn't blow through and turn it over especially if it turns it backwards, the oil pump can be a problem. Lubrication for the engine can be a problem. So there's going to be people assigned to wherever they have these airplanes parked to take care of that. But it's nowhere near the labor that they have normally assigned to their facilities, their bigger facilities, to take care of all those letter checks. So it's, they're going to have an excess of, of maintenance people. Well, you talk about you know, the numbers of people we're going to need. And of course, we've been talking about a pilot shortage. And now that that shortage appears to dry up, I know that a number of the airlines are offering early outs. A lot of the pilots are taking advantage of that early out. So now you have a big slug of pilots going out, not in a systematic way, but maybe in a big slug. And even though we may have a reduced number of airplanes, 
is that still going to allow for us to continue to try and train pilots and, and get them into the pipeline and get them qualified so that they can fill those gaps? Or is this pilot shortage literally evaporated? They're going to they're gonna be able to work with the pilots that they have even after these early outs. And, you know, because of the reduced fleet, they're going to have all the pilots they need. Well, I understand that American Airlines has offered their pilots that are age 60 and older a um, benefit package that includes about 60% of their pay plus free medical right up till they're age 65. And I believe what they said was that once you take it, you're not coming back to the airline. So you're going to go out the door. You're going to continue to get a check from your airline, but you're not coming back. They don't have to pay full salary and they don't have to keep you up training you on equipment. And those people most likely will be on the larger airplanes that probably won't be coming back for a while in any great numbers. So, and I, I was told that 650 people have signed up for that at American Airlines. So that's a healthy chunk. But I have not heard that there's any similar activity at uh, United and Southwest and Delta. So if they don't do something similar to get rid of all those senior people, then there won't be any hiring on those airlines for the next year or maybe two. So it's going to be a bag of worms as far as what we've been telling people. In fact, I'm a little bit embarrassed to go back to school because I've been telling the, the students that I have that, that it's a great time for them to be graduating school because there's jobs all over the place. They can, they can select where they want to go, and that's not going to happen for a while now. Yeah, well, we both mentor young people, and and like you said, you know, we're preaching the message, or at least we were. I'm getting emails and texts from young people that I've been mentoring saying, do I continue my flight training given what's happened? Is there still going to be a job worth working for under the current circumstances? And I still think there is. I think there is as well, but it's going to be maybe a bigger strain to get to that job. And they might have to pay their dues a little longer. And, and, you know, the cost of flight training for these students is is just unbelievably high. So they're going to have uh, a lot of angst, these young people. And there's no easy way around it. Because if you want to fly, then you need to get the credentials. And then you need to get out there and get the experience. Especially today with the 1,500-hour rule for new pilots. So they'll be out trying to get hours wherever they can get them to build up their logbook. Well, the other thing is, of course, with the the pilot force that is still out there and and flying, the unions and the airlines have asked the FAA for extensions for proficiency flying just because we can't bring in masses of pilots through training centers because of the social distancing aspect and, of course, the stay-in-place or stay-at-home orders. So now they're asking for grace periods or extensions. And while those pilots that are flying are maintaining their proficiency through their everyday schedules, what about those pilots who haven't flown in a while? They're only flying a few hours a month. Does that now pose a possible safety aspect to this because these guys aren't flying? No question. Across the board, you know, the skills that we have in aviation, piloting, maintenance, dispatches, they're perishable. It's use them or lose them. If you go uh, leave the job for a year, 
it can be a challenge to come back in and go through all that training and get it back into your head and pass the proficiency tests. So it's not going to be easy if these people are out for a year. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite a challenge for everybody, both the company side and all the employee side. How do you stay current when you're out there and there's no place for you to keep current? And then we come to an even bigger issue, and that is flight crews. While they they are important, and and when they're on the airplane, they are exposed in the environment. But it's really the flight attendants on that front line who have the highest level of exposure because they're dealing with passengers. They're in close contact to these folks. They don't know who may or may not be sick, even though everybody comes on with a mask and rubber gloves, which in some cases is ridiculous. I watched a guy when I was coming home from Washington, him and his wife got on the airplane. They were all dolled up in their mask and their rubber gloves or latex gloves. They had their winter jackets on zipped up to their neck so there was no skin showing. And it was quite interesting because they were sitting across the aisle from me. And when I got on, I cleaned my area. I fortunately didn't have a seat mate. So I could clean all of that area and practice social distancing. But I saw them sit down. They did you know, the cleaning with the, the wipes and that kind of stuff. But it was funny because the flight attendant came down and she was taking a drink order before we took off. And the guy, you know, <laughs> put, pulled his mask away so he could talk to the flight attendant instead of talking through it. And then he put the mask back on. She brought the drink. He pulled the mask off so he could drink it. And then she came by, asked for an, a lunch order. He pulled the mask off, gave her the lunch order. She brings lunch. He takes the mask, slides it down around his neck, takes his gloves off, eats, puts his gloves back on, slides that mask up. And it's just like, dude, really? You just defeated the purpose of all that gear that you had on when you came on this airplane doing what you just did. And while I was entertained by it because, I mean, I'm just sitting there shaking my head thinking, what kind of preparation or what kind of study did these people do? Because touching their face with their latex gloves after they've touched everything else, it's just defeated the purpose. And breathing through that mask, well, it's one thing to breathe through it, but if you pull it down to drink or eat or whatever, you're back to the contamination. So it's it was crazy. And while I understand what they were trying to accomplish, then there were a lot of people on the airplane with masks and latex gloves and everything else. Are the airplanes really a safe haven, if you will? We know that a lot of the airlines have gone to a, quote, decontamination process. The cleaners get on board. They are wiping down the seats and wiping the tray tables and some of the more exposed areas like seatbelts. The problem is, is if you read about these disinfectants, you will find out that using one of the wipes, even on your kitchen counter or your hands or anything else, that you have to leave that liquid in liquid form on the surface for anywhere from 30 seconds to well over a couple of minutes for it to be effective. Wiping it down and then wiping it off and having it dry out or evaporate in quick order, or in some people's case, because I watched them do it, they'll wipe it on and then <laughs> they'll find a dry, like a Kleenex or whatever, wipe it off because they don't want it to be wet when they put their arms on the table or on the armrest. They've just defeated the purpose of that disinfectant. So 
you know, and now you have professional flight crews, pilots and flight attendants that are continuously exposed. Now the question is, what is the industry? That is, is it the airline's responsibility or manufacturer's responsibility or a combination of both to develop ways to disinfect airplanes so that at least when the passengers, when this starts to come back and travel starts to proliferate, are these passengers going to have confidence that the airplane is is disinfected? And then, of course, with pilots and flight attendants, are they going to have a high level of confidence getting on that airplane, knowing that you know when they fly their trip, they're coming home with something that they didn't get on the airplane with? The whole passenger experience, if we just focus on passengers for a minute, the whole passenger experience from the curb, from when they get out of their vehicle at the airport, all the way through, has got to change a little bit. The cleanliness, the defensive mechanisms that they're going to put in place, they being both the airports, TSA, and the airlines, it's going to have to be visible. People need to have the warm and fuzzy feeling that people care, the airline cares about the passenger. It's no longer just worrying about if there's going to be an accident. Now you're going to worry about if you're going to be catch a disease flying in the airplane. So you're going to have to have some real visibility on it. And the cleaners that go on the airplane to clean it off, we may have to do a little theater, if you will, with it to make sure that whatever method that the uh, airline industry settles on to sanitize these airplanes is visible enough so that it gives the passengers the feeling that they are doing something positive to counteract this problem. And then you have the whole issue with the flight crews who are going to see it over and over and over. I mean, sometimes these flight crews are flying together for four days. You know, can a flight attendant pick something up and then give it to the front end crew, the pilots, in the briefing in the morning? You know, the interface they have, they usually bring them up something to drink on a flight that's, you know, more than a couple hours so there's a, just so many touch points with passengers for crew members that it really is scary for the, for the crew members. Unless we do a very good job of cleaning the airplanes and maybe it will come down to actually providing the wipes for all the passengers. I went into a store yesterday and there was somebody standing at the front door, a grocery store, and somebody was standing at the front door and, and uh, spraying everybody's hands. And you had to wipe your hands before you would get into the store. We are living in a different time. I've heard the saying, we live in challenging times. Well, this is definitely a challenging time, not only for the airline industry, but the world as far as the economy and how we live. You know, each of us, <laughs> we're going to be looking at each other differently. The social distancing, you know, when you look at that, six feet isn't enough. You're looking at more like 20 feet. And this isn't going to go away anytime soon because this virus is not going to just be eradicated. It's going to come back and it's going to be cyclic. And hopefully we won't go through this level of pandemic. But the, the fact is, is that we have to make sure that we have things in place that will prevent this type of spread. 
originating or proliferating in the airline business. And the question now is, what is the best method or methods to sanitize an airplane? Because if you try to fog them with some sort of chemical or fill it up with ozone or ionized air and things like that, they all have a toxic, harmful human side effect. <laughs> and you can't just pump all of this stuff into an airplane and figure you've disinfected it. I mean, they used to pump pesticides into airplanes, you know, when they were traveling from really some <laughs> ugly places. Why? Because they didn't want to have insects that were on the airplane being moved around as the airplane moved around. So they'd fill the airplane full of pesticides. Well, guess what? That's all residue that stays on every surface in the airplane, and then it gets into the environmental system, and now people are exposed to it by touching it, breathing it, and everything else. So we're going to have to find ways that are quick, efficient, and effective in sanitizing or decontaminating these airplanes that isn't harmful to the humans that are flying on those aircraft. And, and I think that will be a challenge, especially for those airlines who depend on these now cleaners to get in, get their stuff done and get off because they got a 22 or 30 minute turn. I mean, there's just no way you can do a very good job sanitizing airplanes. You get the last person off, you get the cleaners on, they go blasting through a 200 seat airplane trying to clean every surface. Come on. You got to be realistic here. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I think that those quick turnarounds will be a thing of the past, at least for the next year. You know, and one of the things that you said that that's still not clear is the fact that we think this is going to go away just like all the other flus do for once the summer comes. And what if it doesn't? Yeah. I mean that that if it doesn't go away and give us a break to, and to catch up give us a reprieve for, for five or six months so we can catch up, boy, we will be in trouble. Yeah. We've had conversations in the past. When you look at now what's happened to the economy and the fact that there is a lot of discussion about the little mom and pop restaurants and, and novelty shops and things like that, that will never recover from this. They're out of business and they will never come back. The question is, are there airlines out there, big and small, that we've seen for the last time? Because they cannot recover from this kind of economic drain in their own pocketbook. You know, I think the airline fleets, you know, we had United and in, in Delta and Northwest all had fleets that were over 600 airplanes some of them in the 800, 900 range. I don't think we're going to see those fleet sizes again for three or four years. It's going to take that the economy that long to get spooled up because the economy has been disrupted in a major way. And then looking at the regionals, how do they survive? They don't operate on big margins now. They depend on their big brother, the legacy carriers. And, of course, with the legacy carriers, you know, if their capacity is down and their traffic is down, guess what's going to happen to these regionals? Yes, they're most at risk, most at risk. I mean, we already, I think, Trans States is ready to fold up if they haven't. Yep. You know, Macer has, has uh, had its own problems. Yep. 
we lost Great Lakes, which was an airline based out of Wyoming because they, they didn't have enough pilots at that time. They would never be able to survive this even if they did have enough pilots because they were flying a lot of essential air routes and that kind of stuff. So I think the complexion, the picture of the industry is going to dramatically change over the next five, six, seven months. It is not going to be the same as it was in January or December of last year. It's going to be quite a bit different. We're going to have to wait and see not only how they recover from it, but what down-the-road safety issues are presented by what's happening now. We've talked about the maintenance and the fact that these airplanes have to be maintained, and we hope that there's going to be sufficient pilot or demand for pilots to employ people. But what about these airlines that are going to downsize or go out of business? The unemployment, you know, the airline industry alone, let alone the aviation industry, employs millions of people, not just thousands, millions of people worldwide. And all of a sudden now, you're going to have a lot of people that are possibly out on the street. And, you know, again, we're hoping for, you know, a strong recovery with the economy. You won't have that with a lot of unemployed people. No, it's it's a challenging time. I'm glad it's above my pay rate. People have to make the decisions now on, the, on our economy, on who's getting employed, who gets furloughed. I'm sure that they're having uh, many sleepless nights. Yeah, well, it is uh, a sad state of affairs. But I think going back to a point that you and I talked about, and that is, what is it going to take by the airline, by the industry, by the government to restore confidence in the traveling public, the people that sit behind that cockpit door and travel as a passenger What's it going to take and who's going to have to make the moves to get these people back in the seats with a high level of confidence that when they get on the airplane, they aren't going to get sick? And then what is it going to take by the airlines, the government, even the manufacturers to instill a high level of confidence in the professionals that fly the airplane and the cabin safety professionals to remain on the job? in a highly, right now, toxic environment, you know, so that when things do get better, they too have a high level of confidence that if they go to work, they're not coming home from work sick. And it would be interesting to hear the audience because we have a a varied audience. I would love to hear the feedback to those questions and see what it's going to take. I know what it takes for me to get on an airplane every single day, especially right now. I don't have an issue with it because you and I have grown up, if you will, in our career dealing with biohazards. We've gone through formal biohazard training because when we go out on accident sites, we are in danger of being exposed to a lot of bad stuff, whether it's human debris or, you know, very toxic chemicals that are on the airplane. Of course, cargo airplanes are carrying who knows what, dangerous goods, things like that. So we've been trained in recognizing hazardous situations, how to protect ourselves appropriately. But you can't expect the general public to go through a biohazard course and know how to use latex gloves and masks and goggles and and a poopy suit and all that other stuff. And so I know what it's going to take for me to remain 
as a passenger on the airplane and, and that kind of thing. And I think the industry will meet my needs, but that's not necessarily the same need of other passengers or other professionals to restore or at least enhance their confidence to get back on an airplane. I mean, what do you think, John? I mean, are you comfortable getting on an airplane now? Well, you certainly pay more attention. I, I did the same thing, wiping down the seats. And you can't go through that forever. That's a negative for people traveling. So you got to get it back to where they're comfortable to just come on the airplane and sit in the seat. And what's it going to take to build up that comfort level? Like I said, is we going to have to have visible teams that go on the airplane to clean it? Do we just have a van that comes up and parks in front of the airplane so the passengers can see it and we say a decon, you know, paint decontamination unit on the, the side of it so that they believe that if somebody's gone in there and decontaminated the airplane? I don't know what it's going to take, but it's going to take some sort of action like that to give the passenger the feeling that he's not risking his life, not only in the event of an incident or an accident, but he's also risking his life in the with a disease that uh, has got everybody scared. The press has done a good job of that, of cranking everybody up. Not that it's that they shouldn't be concerned, but I think the press has done a job of overdoing that. And then on top of all this, is it really the sole responsibility of the airline or a manufacturer for decontamination? What responsibility is the airport going to have? Like you were talking about earlier, from the time I get out of my car and walk into that terminal, what responsibility is the airport going to have to provide a safe environment? What are they going to do to ensure that all of the exposed surfaces that passengers are mingling in, touching, operating in every single day in an airport? Think of the thousands of chairs at the gates. How do you decontaminate? How do you ensure that there isn't bad stuff all over the seats because you got thousands of people sitting in that seat up and down, up and down, up and down throughout the day. How is the airport and what is the airport's responsibility for providing a safe environment, not only with the physical equipment that's in the air and the terminals and the airport itself, but the vendors and everything else, but then, of course, the environment, the air that is circulating in the airport. So and in the airplane, these airborne things are not going to, you know, spread and, and contaminate others. It's going to be a very daunting problem that they're going to have to deal with. It really is going to be interesting to see how we as an industry bounce back from this and really work to rebuild a lost confidence. And it's not by any fault of the airlines or the manufacturers. It's just that is the nature of this virus and the fact that it was basically initially spread by people traveling, moving, you know, place to place and then exposing others. And uh, it's, uh, it's a sad state of affairs. So It sure is. Well, everybody needs to stay tuned and please write us in and let us know your thoughts, what it's going to take to get you back on the airplane, whether you're a pilot, a flight attendant or a passenger. We'd like to know what you think. And you can do that by sending us an email at flight safety detectives with an S on the end at gmail.com. John and I have decided to do a show where we're going to, the entire show is just going to be emails that we've received over the past several months since we started the show. And we're going to read them, the good, the bad, the ugly, discuss them, try to answer some of the questions people have given us 
show suggestions, which we're going to address. And we would now, we're going to push this because we thought this coronavirus discussion was more important and timely. So we would love to include your thoughts about getting back on an airplane and getting back into the travel mode by way of airlines. So please send us an email. We want to definitely add that to the mix when we do our email show. And definitely heed, please heed the warnings. Ignorance is not a viable excuse. There's been so much publicity, so many people talking about what to do, what what you shouldn't do. You know, heed the warnings. Don't think the old saying, it can't happen to me. <laughs> it can happen to any of us. And while you're preaching the message, I mean, again, I have a job. John has a job that requires us to be in various places. And while we can restrict our travel to an extent, if we have to be there, we are definitely taking the appropriate precautions so that we do not jeopardize our own health as well as that of our respective families. And and that's one of the things. It's all about airport etiquette and respecting other people's space, especially now, whether you're in the airport or on an airplane. And situational awareness is the key to to all of that. Well, let's hope that they find a cure for this as fast as possible. I know there's a lot of effort going on, but we've got to protect ourselves. We've got to listen to what they're saying. No gatherings and so on and so on. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't want to feel like a broken record by saying everything over and over again, but it really is important for everybody to take the steps to protect themselves. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, John, I think that while you and I could probably really get into a lot of detail and, and hammer these issues, I'm sure the audience doesn't want to hear us drone on for another couple hours. So with that, I will say I want you to stay safe, my friend, especially if you have to travel. We're going to do another podcast. Hopefully at some point in the near future, you and I will be in the same room and practicing our social distancing of six feet rather than 1,400 miles. So uh, I, I wish you well. Definitely stay safe. And for all of you listening, our final comment is fly safe. Thanks for listening. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to flightsafetydetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at pama.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening. At British Airways, we're recruiting in our ground operations team at London Heathrow. You'll have bags of responsibility as a valued colleague below the wing of our aircraft. Every touchdown and takeoff would not be possible without our brilliant team. So this is your chance to make a real difference and showcase your original skills and talents. New joiners will receive a £1,000 sign-on bonus, along with staff travel benefits from day one. Plus, we offer world-class training and career development opportunities. Bonus terms and conditions apply. Visit ba.com careers and apply now.